Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. Now, this is where it gets kind of fun. Listeners of the Mid Podcast are eligible for claiming a Lens profile. Go to the show notes and fill out the survey in order to get allow listed for a Lens profile. You need the secret passcode also linked in the show notes to submit the form, which is valid for the next 24 hours. So go create your profile, go find me and follow me. I'll see you there. This episode welcomes MP, co-founder of JPEG, the NFT curation layer of Web3. She's been working in the blockchain space since June 2017 and has consulted or worked for projects such as Polkadot, Gnosis, Melonport, the Ethereum Community Fund, Golem, Acropolis, Concourse Open, Avalanche, and other grassroots and established projects on the Ethereum ecosystem. In this episode, we talk about NFT curated registries and how she's building Web3's cultural landscape through JPEG's curation network. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. MP, welcome to Man. Thank you for being on. What is going on? Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm stoked to have you a part of season six on all things creator economy and where blockchain data fits into the picture. So I think a good place to start, MP, is how did you get your start into crypto, let alone Web3? Uh, we can start there and we can work our way forward. For sure. Um, so my start in crypto was basically because I needed a job. <laughs> It was very simple. Um, I was working in luxury before and I wasn't really comfortable with the way that I saw business was yeah, happening in, in luxury. And I quit that job and I really needed another job to pay the rent. And one of my friends, he was working at a tech company. I didn't know which kind of tech. And I went to meet my friend and his boss because I was part of a sort of like a big sister program. So I took one of the kids that I was uh, uh, watching uh, to learn about technology. And this guy taught him how uh, blockchains work. And I was like, this is incredible. Um, I'm really interested. I already knew about crypto and everything. But I thought this guy was explaining it really well. And turns out the guy was the founder of Ethereum, Gavin Wood. Um, so of course he knew his deal. And from there, I was like, actually, I loved everything that, uh, you know, this guy told me, I told my friend, I'm Argentinian. So I could see a lot resonating with me with regards to transparency and traceability and you know all like a parallel economy that was able to you know help us um you know overcome inflation so i told my friend and i told him to let me know when there was a job opening 
And uh, yeah, there was a job opening. I started as an assistant. Didn't last very long there because I was already senior when I started in 2017. Um, and I started developing my career with Polkadot. At first, um, I worked there until 2000 and early 2018, where I fell in love with the Ethereum community and I started applying for Ethereum jobs. Um, then shortly I started working for Golem, which is one of the oldest uh, Ethereum projects. And mm -hmm. from there, they gave me a lot of freedom to start discovering uh, my own path. And my own path had to do with also starting here in Berlin, a nonprofit for, uh, to organize hackathons. And the hackathons, usually because I'm very interested in arts as well, um, had to have a cultural element. So that's a little bit what led me to NFTs. And it was a hobby until, and I wrote a couple of papers on the topic as well, because I'm a researcher and it was really a hobby. Um, you know, it was something that I did out of passion until um, come 2020, I was still writing the, la the second paper, struggling to uh, sort of update it. And I realized there was like some shifts happening in the NFT sphere. Mm. Um, so I told my uh, co-writers, uh, they were like, oh yeah, but you know, uh, you know, let's, let's see what happens. And then I kept thinking, I was like, I have to take all this knowledge and start a business. Um, because it would be such a shame. So I met Trent, the co-founder of JPEG, over Twitter DMs. Um, he's a DeFi guy. I've been in DeFi as well. We had art in common and he DM'd me. We started exchanging like cool artworks. And then he was like, hey, I want to start the gallery. Um, want to join? And I'm like, of course. And that's uh, also how I met the other founder, uh, Sam. Uh, you know, I still had a job, so I worked two jobs for about a year um, until I, uh, you know, got confident enough to start mm. working full time in my own business. And that's where I am right now. So how has the industry changed, you think, since when you initially got started around the 2017 era to where are we now, 2022? So the first thing is the obvious thing. Um, when I started, everyone knew each other by first name. And, you know, we were uh -huh. like, what, 100? <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, everything was very personal. And you, you know, if you had any problem with the platform, you would go straight to the founder because, uh, you know, usually that was like the kind of, you know, feedback loop that was, uh, that existed. Uh, we were just like a few of us. And uh, of course, you know, uh, with regards to tooling, it has evolved so much and in such a rapid pace um, that uh, you're not able really to tra track down anymore the progress, and you're also not able to track down anymore the you know the new products that resemble others that are you know like sort of sub forks and everything. So it's re it's really interesting. It's you know the thing the fact of the matter is that. In 2017 and in 2018, we our, our dream was to hit mainstream um, with our apps, the apps that we were building that were decentralized, that were self-sovereign and uh, all the nice things. And I really couldn't have 
uh, expected that uh, crypto would go main mainstream thanks to NFTs propelling that. And uh, that's a really big, um, not change, but a surprise, um, a positive one, because uh, the apps that we were building were clunky, are still clunky. We needed an easier product. We didn't think it was NFTs, but here mm. we are. It's actually crazy because an, an, another question I have for you is you are in the Berlin uh, uh, crypto scene and the European crypto scene differs from any other crypto scene worldwide. When I got started in 2017, I had I had this like this itch to scratch to try to figure find work in Europe as well. Um, I didn't end up going to Berlin. I was hanging around like in, in Switzerland and studying over there for a little bit and the Europeans are just built a little different, I would argue. How do you how do you kind of like make sense of all the innovation, all the activities, specifically in crypto at Berlin? And what is that energy like? So I am I'm born and raised in Argentina, so I guess I'm also uh -huh. built different than, you know, yeah. the Americans and Europeans. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll try my best. Um, so, of course, you know, here we have a strong word like balance, um, but that doesn't mean that Europe is not innovating. Uh, Europe is also a little bit more bureaucratic uh, with regards to innovation and because of the European Union, you know, I, so everything goes a little bit slower, I would say, uh, but there has always been something really positive about Europe is that uh, it's a union, like everyone knows. But this union allows you to, you know, be very flexible when you start, a, you know, a new project, a new technology with regards to, you know, where to set up your business. Um, because, you know, regulations differ. There's like some uh, overarching ones, but they differ country to country. And there's a lot of like, and even, you know, if, for example, Switzerland ha is a completely different story and you would know it because you, you were there. Um, we still have a lot of treaties, so, you know, everything is uh, easy for us. Switzerland is exceptional because with regards to crypto projects and innovation, they are the place that basically started it all with regards to regulations. Um, it's a fantastic place. There's a, there's a canton name uh, called Zug. And Sub uh, was uh, the home of uh, the very early projects, including Ethereum, which set up there because of the favorable conditions, both regulatory and uh, for tax reasons as well. And Sub has a fantastic, uh, has found a fantastic business and uh, is, is aware that they are a fantastic ground for innovation. So everything in Sub caters the crypto business in a really good way. So, you know, you have the best lawyers there that are, you know, have been with Ethereum from the start. And they're the same lawyers where I can go if I need something or if I need to start my business because, you know, the relationships have been built. And we also have the bank, uh, you know, several banks and management companies and, you know, like everything. It's basically a place to set up your blockchain in a box project. Um, mm. So that's really good. Um, but I do agree that, you know, because Europeans tend to have a better, I, I, I want to say better, better, such a bad word, a different or like balance than Americans. Um, and, you know, this regulatory stuff that tends to be very bureaucratic, then it does go slower. 
Um, that's something that uh, Europeans wouldn't like to tell you, but I'm not, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm Argentinian. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to tell it to you. And uh, how do I start it and how do I, did I feel it? Basically, I am more on the side of working very hard. And it's uh -huh. just in my uh, older years in blockchain that I started taking weekends, for example. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't sleep like the rest of you. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I would argue the same thing when I was working and studying over there, the, the work-life balance was completely different than that of, let's say, I don't know, America and the States. Um, but enough, of, enough about Europe really quick. Okay. I want to talk more about you deciding to try to build a business in web three and falling back on the gallery business, right? On uh, token curated registries, which is a lot of the, the foundation of JPEG. So I think this is a good starting point to kind of introduce JPEG um and what is jpeg like what what do we need to know about jpeg more specifically also what is your role at jpeg so i am the co-founder of jpeg i also do the communications i do operations i do a bunch of different things um trent is stronger on product and sam the other co-founder He's stronger on what's artistic advisory because he's straight up from the art world into crypto. Um, so, you know, we, we have different roles, but we sort of complement each other. So basically JPEG is an NFT curation protocol. And what does that mean? That we are building infrastructure, a cultural infrastructure to support the whole NFT ecosystem. So. What we're building right now uh, is, uh, first of all, we have an interface uh, that's a user-facing one that allows people to go into JPEG and curate their own exhibitions with NFTs they own and with NFTs they don't own. Generally, they don't own them. You can also set up your, uh, your own storefront as well and you know do a bunch of different things because it's basically a customizable space a la Squarespace where you can create many things with NFTs. Um, but the cool thing is what happens uh, underneath all of that. Every JPEG exhibition is stored permanently on Arweave. So the on-chain exhibition history, and that, that, uh, which is on-chain provenance history, um, becomes a very important data point that we're hoping is a primitive for the NFT space. Um, on the uh, on other spectrum of JPEG, but it's uh, you know it's similar and it's uh, to totally complementary, but it's a different piece of technology. Are uh, the registries and the registries are basically um, groups of NFTs that are crowdsourced by people and that can be ordered by you know a particular topic. For example, you know X copy NFTs or uh, you know super rare NFTs and, uh, you know, this kind of ordering that's uh, going to be crowdsourced, this is not shipped. Uh, the, the exhibitions are shipped already and live for a year and uh, registries will come very soon, by the way. Um, so all of these will start to create, you know, new primitives and new, uh, you know, ways of seeing NFTs, of stratifying the space, of discovering the NFTs and, uh, you know, we hope we, we will create very interesting data sources as well for people to, you know, inform their work. 
So that's why I wanted to feature JPEG in season six, because a lot of season six are primarily, it's about blockchain data, okay? And we talked about blockchain data in season five a little bit across different speakers and, and different guests that were on, but I wanted to have you on specifically because I think there's something interesting going on behind token curated registries. And I'm trying to understand what role do they play at the, in the creator economy at large? What's your perspective on that? So maybe a little bit of background on token curated registries for the people that have not heard of them. Um, yeah. Basically, token curated registries, we didn't invent them. Um, uh, they weren't for NFTs as well. Um, they were invented around 2017, probably. And the first use case was uh, for verification of uh, ERC-20 tokens. Um, back then, you know, it was the, NFT, uh, the ICO boom. And uh, everyone was minting shit coins. Um, everything was very messy. People didn't know what, which ones were fraud, which ones were good, which ones had, you know, stable development. They didn't know anything at all because research was also very confusing as it has always been. So this idea of token curated registries came about and token curated registries for NFTs uh, for ERC-20s, I keep on uh, confusing was a basically list of tokens that were, a, you know, where people would have to stake another token that was native to the TCR. And that staking would uh, ensure the person was a good actor and that was submitting a truthful information. Of course, um, you know, in a highly speculative market where any where the only thing that matters and now we have found out that it's not all about the tech but it's all about you know to, uh, numbers going up or down when there's a market uh, the token will continue living so there was not really a use case for erc20s and tcrs but there is a very solid use case in nfts why because nfts are actually very versatile objects um they're cultural they're financial they are uh, anything you want them to be, you know, uh, they can be property titles, uh, they can be, you know, essays as well as, you know, Mirror is thinking of uh, doing. And all of these creates, you know, an endless supply of NFTs and where do they all go? Probably to OpenSea um, without correct indexing, without correct metadata and everything, you know, is impossible to be correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess. Um, so that's where we come in, um, hoping that, you know, we deliver these, um, these lists, uh, that serve as primitives and that people can actually use them. How can you be able to use them within the creative economy? That's a, that's a great question that I look forward to, uh, for people to, uh, identify because I think mm. that the best to discover your product market fit is actually when, uh, you know, when people start interacting with your tech. Uh, but uh, some of the more practical use cases that come to mind are, for example, are you a curator and you would like to create an exhibition and find out, you know, a particular and find several NFTs that might be interesting to your practice, but it's not possible to find them on OpenSea. Or, uh, you know, you're looking for NFTs from a particular period of time, from a particular uh, day that, uh, you know, something happened in crypto and you want to see what NFTs accompanied that event. Or, you know, 
you want to surface the NFTs from uh, a very prolific artist that has minted throughout several platforms mm -hmm. and it's impossible to find otherwise. So there's many use cases um, in, you know, people can also use them, you know, who uses a discovery and archives uh, with regards to the traditional art world? Um, curators, of course, as I mentioned, critics, um, muse uh, other museums, mm -hmm. um, researchers, students, um, basically anyone that's, uh, that wants to do research needs to serve themselves from archives. And so far, we don't have those. Um, registries actually provide you with that sort of Got ordering it. that resembles an archive. So if you look at like Web2 registries, so companies like Google and Yelp, they do a great job at curating a list of either search results or restaurants. But why is there a need to decentralize this process? So first of all, we are building Web3 web and we're, uh, we, we think that uh, Google is, you know, it's not something that we want to mimic because right. everything is closed source. Um, you know, they also, God knows what they, they actually do to your brain. And, you know, it has not gone so well uh, for humans and web too, right? Uh, data management is also, you know, sure. a, a, another murky topic. So I think it makes sense because first of all, uh, registries are crowdsourced. So there's no algorithm dictating the taste making and the archiving, you know, it's other people like you and me that are interested on pushing this space forward. So that creates, a, you know, there's always certain bias on everything, but that creates a better one. Um, then for sure that, uh, you know, having everything tra traceable on the blockchain or on a decentralized database that's visible to all is a, helpful for many reasons but you know it i guess it uh, talks about the point that information at least in my opinion and in the opinion of a lot of people in web3 should be free and uh, openly accessible so uh, you know we believe the same a jpeg so we're building a all transparent infrastructure mm -hmm. that will be open source in order to you know continue adding uh, positively to the space and yeah, I guess it's about knowing what lays underneath and having control. Um, and uh, that's that already makes it better. I, I agree. I think there's beauty behind being able to curate something as a community um, and having like aligned incentives and in doing that type of action um, is something that we're not strangers to in Web3. And we're seeing these use cases kind of being applied across different different activities. Um, I think TCRs are no different. And uh, I, I want to ask you based on a tweet that Vitalik Buterin kind of set out or published in November of 2018. He basically tweeted that TCR designs should take more care to accommodate the value of speci specialists in information gathering. How do you actually design a system while mm. considering those accommodations? And two, how do you quantify the value of a specialist, for example? Um, that's such a great one. You have to send it to me later on. I will. Because <laughs> I haven't thought about that Twitter in many years. <laughs> um, 
It's excellent, actually. Um, the first thing is that uh, we don't hope to close our our TCRs to specialists. I think that the TCRs of uh, before for ERC20s may be needed, you know, experts in crypto, uh, crypto economy and experts in, you know, software development to understand, you know, what was a good token with regards to the technology that it was supporting or not. Um, we think that we can crowdsource that expertise from people that have a genuine interest on pushing uh, the NFT space forward, from people that believe, uh, like us, that NFTs are cultural objects and should be treated with the gravitas they deserve. And furthermore, we're also not building monolithic uh, registries, but uh, we're allowing people to create their own. Mm. Um, so that should help. Another important thing is that obviously, um, we will have some sort of governance system to, for people to be able to vote which registries should be created, which registries should not, which is spam as well, because, you know, spam will happen in, you know, with the state of the NFT ecosystem. If they're dropping shitty NFTs into your wallet all the time, we will also get spammed. Everyone will get spammed. Um, so we really need to ensure that there's a proper reputation and governance system to make sure that the people that are, uh, you know, curating these lists are uh, not only good actors, but also um, they're just not bots. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's the part of, you know, the expertise and the part of rewards, um, you know, I guess that will come naturally. So far, uh, a JPEG, of course, we have uh, flirted with ideas of, you know, having a token to incentivize people, but so far we really want to test if this curating thing and uh, this, you know, <laughs> register creation thing and the governance is something that people will uh, need and use before introducing any kind of incentivization, because otherwise, you know, we will get uh, to the place where a lot of DAOs are right now, which is really unfortunate, where, you know, people join the DAO in, and expect immediate retribution mm -hmm. for like either minimum task or tasks and we we don't want to you know create that we learned and uh, some of us are part of the house as well and we learn from that and we we believe that you know there should be another way and DAOs are also learning for what it's worth you know they they have strength strengthened their measures with regards to contributions and everything what's up guys sorry for the quick pause but i wanted to tell you about bellow a new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior. Through a simple search, Bellows Intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bellows helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys. And now it's ready to help other creators too. If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bellows beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O.lol forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. So with, with that being said, why, why don't you think NFT registries will sort of undergo the same downfall as ERC-20 uh, curated lists? 
because NFTs are much more rich in, you know, by, by their own right. Um, you know, they can be so many things. They definitely need to be archived. Um, they definitely need to be ordered as well. And uh, there's much more, I, I would say that from 2017 to now, there's so much more fraud mm. and forgery as well. Um, you know, NFTs can, you know, a lot of people have fallen into buying, you know, uh, an NFT that, you know, was just the JPEG with a different NFT where, uh, so, you know, they, they need a lot of infrastructure to support them. And we weren't ready for this uh, explosion that we have right now. What are some of the major problems that face, uh, I guess, JPEG uh, when trying to build an NFT based TCR? Like what, what are some of the more most notable obstacles uh, that come to mind? The first obstacle, obstacle that comes to mind is that no one has ever done this before. Okay. <laughs> At least not with NFTs. So that's pretty hard, um, you know. And uh, also adapting the early, uh, you know, the early prototypes and ideas of TCRs into, you know, our ecosystem and making it simple first and foremost, because it was like back then I didn't understand TCRs and probably now I I also don't and adapting it and making it easier and more playful and uh, making sure that people are really gonna, you know, understand the whole like, purpose behind behind uh, our registries. I think that's the main challenge. Obviously, um, designing any kind of governance and reputation system is a very hard challenge because first of all, you don't wanna end up with something that resembles Web2. Um, if you design a wrong governance system, you can always fix it, um, uh, so that's great. But uh, you can't really fix toxic traits that you're growing on people. Um, so that's, you know, creating, making sure that we're not creating bad habits. Uh, it's a, a really big discussion point in the team. And with regards to the technological challenges, the more like nitty gritty challenges, I wouldn't be able to uh, speak for my colleagues. I'm the one that's not a dev. But uh, I, I think and having been on teams that have built things that they have never built before, before in my previous <laughs> jobs, I think that it's always it's always the same, you know, like it takes longer than expected. Um, there's a lot of like micro pivots going on. Um, you always have this doubt where, whether people will use it or not, whether what you're building makes sense. Um, you always, uh, you know, like the the challenge of having things uh, sufficiently decentralized or progressively decentralized is a, and lots of philosophical questions that have to do with the core tenets of Web3 and how to build without sacrificing uh, UX are you know, all big, big questions and challenges. When it comes to creating uh, incentives, how, what, what kind of bootstrapping incentives are in place for JPEG to ensure like trust and quality? in the curation process? So none for now, <laughs> um, but none because we don't want to start with the wrong foot. Okay. Um, you know, we learn from that, uh, from DAOs. Uh, but however, uh, people are already using 
JPEG for professional purposes. Um, you know, we have seen art fairs be being set up on, on JPEG. Uh, we have seen professional, incredible galleries as well, you know, incredible NFT sex exhibitions that have been in Miami, Basel. And so there's like a really good user base that understands that, uh, you know, we need cultural infrastructure and we're very happy to take on JPEG and to choose us for their incredible projects. And we have incredible people in our community that are constantly trying to surface content, whether it's for, you know, writing their essays or whether there is, it is for showing their expertise with, uh, or joining a conversation without owning the NFTs. Um, we always have people that are really wanting to create mm -hmm. things with, with JPEG. So we don't think that that's going to be hard. And to be honest with you, you know, like incentives can be retroactive. Everyone has learned that uh, starting with Uniswap, uh, with the Uniswap airdrop in 2020. Um, so we expect people to be curating, to be honest, um, just because they will expect a retroactive compensation and that will most likely happen. Um, also, we will have reputation points, which are not money, but they mean stuff. Mm -hmm. They they sure. they mean a lot for people. You know. Yeah. So you, by gamifying the system without really introducing token rewards just yet, um, I can also see, based off looking at JPEG site, there actually are really high quality curists, uh, curators, excuse me, on there. Um, and I I really appreciate the format of curating certain JPEGs and certain NFTs, uh, but also creating like thought provoking uh, like written pieces around them. Right. So if you look at some of like the curators that you highlight in their pages, I think it's actually really unique. It almost feels I don't want to say like blog esque, but it has it has that museum elegant vibe to it um, uh, for the product itself. And that also after seeing that, it got me thinking like you can absolutely use the infrastructure that you're building to build a more Web3 native Pinterest, for example. Right. And, and create like a, a, this. It's more of like a, a gallery feed, right? Just using the metadata that you guys are kind of like are, uh, orchestrating and whatnot. I want to talk more about applications because I think the most exciting thing for me hosting this podcast is trying to understand, okay, there's infrastructure, but the real use cases are going to come when people build on top of this infrastructure, right? You mentioned a few use cases in the past. We just brought up like a Web3 native Pinterest. What are some of the more not obvious use cases or applications that you're excited to see some, uh, a founder or a group of people experiment with using the JPEG protocol? I'm very excited about anyone that's able to leverage JPEG for uh, to inform their practice and to uh, make money uh, and to get better at their, their job, you know, and just, you know, to have it as a tool, um, you know, a portfolio would be very exciting when it comes to artists. Uh, as a matter of fact, some artists have already been, you know, ordering some of their like very early works uh, using JPEG and then, you know, they list them through Sora so they can sell them in JPEG as well. I'm very excited uh, about anything that, you know, allows people to use JPEG as a canvas, mm. uh, as a portfolio, as, you know, a, a blogging platform. Why, why don't you? Um, uh, which is something that uh, our community manager, William, has been doing really well as well. Um, I'm also excited about people that uh, 
think out of the box and uh, you know they can order their you know collections of essays for example uh, on on jpeg or you know there's property titles being created with nfts so that's also possible uh, there's use cases with nfts and decentralized science um, that will need NFTs to, you know, maybe re record a particular, you know, components uh, of the research. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, anything that serves to support all of that without needing for them to use, um, you know, Squarespace sure. or a, any blogging platform, that's fantastic. Um, I'm really looking forward to see more people do stuff with the with the data with the exhibition data um just to give you an idea when you when you're actually checking out a, a sotheby's or christie's nft auction you will see that they do a really good job at a, you know establishing all the provenance in nfts they do a, a little bit of a shittier job with that because their provenance is not very interesting but if you have time go and check the amazing work that they do with traditional art provenance it's incredible it's a story so we hope that people are able to use this uh, on-chain history of provenance that we're building because uh, through jpeg and this already happens um you're able to see when it was minted who owned it uh, who bought it last and who, who curated it as well you know, and the, the more times you curate it, the more times, you know, the provenance right. uh, grows. So all of all of that uh, is invaluable data that uh, auction houses that have been there for a very long time have monetized and do very well. So we're looking to see other people, you know, like include this kind of like precious data into, into their business as well. Um, so really anyone from trading analysts to historians. Got it. So what, what actually tends to be like the, the business model for that type of creator? So if I'm a curator or if I'm a historian, like how would I actually monetize something like this? What does that look like? And it may vary per creator, but I'm, I'm hoping maybe you could give some examples. For sure. Um, so the first one that comes to mind is the art advisor. I don't know if you have ever heard of an art advisor, basically, they are people that go to high net worth individuals and they tell them what to buy. Um, and these people already know a lot about the history of a particular piece. Um, there are art advisors in NFTs, right. believe it or not. And they're really, uh, but I think that we're going to be able to make their job easier. Um, uh, another. You know, another one is the NFT archaeologists. Um, we discussed this uh, in our little sync before. Um, basically, NFT archaeologists are focused on early NFTs and pro proto NFTs, and uh, their job is essentially to look at the documentation online, uh, social media forums. Reddit is a really good one, um, and a lot of time looking at Ether Scan to find out when things are minted and when things are transferred. But they only they only focus on the digging aspect, you know, on I found this grail, now I'm selling it to you for a and you know, I'm making a deal, you know, to get a premium. 
um, our advisors also get a premium for you know their advisory services and so we hope that we're a we're going to be able to add more contextual data as well to uh, both um, and yeah, I, I think those are uh, those are really good examples. I think those are solid examples because there's a little bit of a curator in all of us. Um, uh, I'll reference like yes. music NFTs, for example, which are really, really hot right now. There's a lot of collectors that like to find the early artists that then they then recommend it to their friends to kind of buy, right? And to, to co-invest with and, and co-collect with. Um, and I think there's a level of provenance that that's required to kind of analyze, to understand what makes a music NFT more more valuable than other music NFTs, for example. What makes one artist more valuable? So there's already a lot of that happening, right? So from what I understand, JPEG is actually building the foundation, the tools to enable a more efficient system, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to have more confidence in your yes. curation. So that's really cool. And I really align with that because I feel like I play a certain role in trying to understand the music NFTs that are out there and the music artists that are out there, and even like the digital artists that are out there too. So that, that makes a lot of sense. But I know a lot of platforms that are, let's say, building uh, in the music, Web3 music landscape. And I guess also in the NFT ecosystem in general, there's, a, there's an underlying problem, which you also talked about earlier, MP, is the metadata problem, right? And trying to kind of like make mm -hmm. sense of all the noise on chain. And this is something that I talked about with, I think it was Eric Reppel, head of data at Zora. He's like, maybe there needs to be some type of like a blockchain consortium of some sort where we create standard standardization for how people write their smart contracts or the entire infrastructure that kind of pertains to, to everything that's happening behind the hood. What is your kind of point of view on how to solve this metadata problem? What does that really look like to you? There's a really fun meme about standards um, that, you know, once you create one, then everyone wants to create right. their own. Um, so they actually don't their work. Um, that said, I just wanted to uh, mention that meme. I actually do believe in standards. Um, you know, I, I worked previously with a, all, a no computer scientist team, and I, I do think they're helpful. I do think what, uh, what Sora proposes and also, you know, the the Herculean efforts that they have been doing to index NFTs um, are going to be, you know, really like are already extremely necessary. But anything about building standards uh, and building and creating consortiums uh, will affect the NFTs that will be creating from that point onwards. And of course, we we don't even know that it, uh, whether those standards are going to happen or not. There has been attempts on Ethereum. It's very hard. Uh, you know, people end up like chasing their own selfish interests. Um, but I believe that uh, instead of uh, you know, like if the standards do don't work, actually building infrastructure like uh, JPEG or like Sora and understanding the concept of uh, you know public good infrastructure as, as public good um, is going to be really helpful as well um, because Zora is also working retroactively uh, to try to you know better index um, and you know to try to sort of fix that uh, that metadata uh, by indexing in a better way and we're working on creating a different strata, um, but towards the same goal. Um, 
And of course, the you know I would love to have standards, uh, but they take a lot of time. Um, they take a lot of coordination. Humans are not great at coordination. I don't know if you know. That. <laughs> um, so. And, you know, sometimes when the coordination is incentivized, that also doesn't go mm -hmm. quite right. So I'm more optimistic about uh, teams like Sora and uh, JPEG building, you know, public, public goods uh, that everyone can use, that are decentralized, that are open source and that are accessible to everyone. And I guess that people will want to contribute because, you know, like Web3 should be you know, if you are contributing to Web3, if you're getting money from Web3, if the creator economy of Web3 has actually benefited you, then it might like you might as well give something back by, you know, being an active contributor, mm -hmm. not only an extractor, um, because it's not about monetizing, it's not about monetizing, but it's also about like building in, you know, collectively. I love, I love that. I think that's a mic drop moment and that leaves me off to my final question. Okay. Um, we're at a state right now where a lot of creators, they've already minted their first, either their, at least their first, uh, NFT. Of course, many haven't even touched NFTs yet, but for those who have touched NFTs, who've started building an on-chain community, a collector base, um, maybe they're approaching their second drop. How should they be thinking about on-chain data? as a way to further grow their community, potentially monetize their community, um, and just kind of like outlive this bear market that we're all in. What do you recommend? I think everyone should try to educate themselves about the platforms that they're minting on. Um, that's the main thing. It's not, a, you don't have to think as a creator or a, about on-chain data because it's, it, it's already hard enough for, uh, for you as a creator to, um, you know, do your work. Um, and I think it's very unkind to put uh, all the responsibility on the creator's hands. The platforms should do much better, you know. Um, what happens with, uh, for example, provenance in platforms like Nifty Gateway, where it's very opaque, even if it's Ethereum, um, you know, cannot happen. And people can see that already, you know, you as a creator, if you're minting on Nifty Gateway, you can already see that, you know, you can't really easily find your NFTs. Uh, you can't go to OpenSea so easily and, you know, like find your creations. So you should pay attention because uh, to how the works are tracked, how the information is uh, readily available on a website, uh, whether it's Etherscan links, OpenSea links, um, you know, the way that they work, you know, if the, uh, the platform is open source or closed source, um, everything, you know, that's, that's what you, what you should be looking. If the platform that you are working with has your best interests and the interest of your work, uh, first, uh, than, you know, creating a closed garden because the problems happen when people can't see things, um, when people can't see their, uh, where, are their images stored? Where is their uh, music stored? Where, uh, you know, where's the transaction that certifies that that was bought by a legit collector and not by, you know, like, you know, the, the marketplace and many other things. So if you choose the platforms that are uh, open source, decentralized, and uh, that are uh, accessible and easy, uh, to everyone with regards to information, I don't think you have to think about the, you know, where on-chain data per se. 
If you think about it, that's great, but you don't have okay. to. Okay. I think that's a great place to end off. Uh, MP, you rock. Keep at it. Uh, we gotta have to, we're going to have to do this again sometime soon. But before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we find JPEG? Uh, shill it away. So uh, JPEG is JPEG, JPG dot space. Um, that's our website. Uh, the Twitter is really hard uh, because it, uh, we decided to go with a bunch of underscores and it's insane that we did it, but I love it. Um, so just go to our website, uh, jpg.space. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I am quite active there as well. I am at, at MP, the real MVP. Um, it's an old, uh, <laughs> it's an old one. Um, I, I don't, I don't run uh, like that. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's about Amazing. it. Amazing. Till next time. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ, and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.